All right, take your Bibles if you would. And uh, we're going to try to attempt something very rarely done around here, and that's to cover parts of almost four chapters tonight. And, uh, okay, so let's start with chapter 17. And, of course, we're going to be doing this in, in more of a summary style. And uh, then what I want to do and what I want you to pray with me about is we have our evening Bible studies on Thursday nights. Uh, by the end of tonight, I hope to have covered all of the uh, verses in the book of Revelation. And now what I want to do over the next several weeks is to go through the rest of the Bible and start making connections. Like uh, you've heard about it in Revelation 22, there's a river of life that flows out of the throne of God. And then there's a passage in the Old Testament prophets that talks about the Dead Sea being healed and different things like that. That's that's connected. Uh, We want to look at the uh, tribal allotments during the Millennial Kingdom because the geography of the earth is going to change completely might just be connected with the New Jerusalem. Not really sure, but we'll see. And there are many prophecies that deal with Babylon and the destruction thereof. And, of course, that's where we're going to start tonight. We've dealt with uh, the narrative in chapter 13. We met the woman, Israel, the man-child, Jesus, the great red dragon, the devil, and Michael, the archangel, and then we have the two beasts of Revelation chapter 13, the, the, the beast and the false prophet, as they are mentioned later in the scriptures. Then the other groups, once again, we meet the 144,000. We have several angels doing things that are unknown that angels do in any other time period. Uh, God has always used his people to preach his word, and yet here we have an angel flying through the earth, flying through the air, preaching the gospel. And of course, the one sitting upon the cloud, we see Jesus figured in many, many different ways in the book of Revelation. He is first uh, his appearance as the glorified Christ. He is also mentioned as an angel in the scripture. He is uh, then called one that sits on the cloud in Revelation 19. He'll be riding a white horse, leading the armies of heaven, uh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the lamb that has been slain. Uh, Jesus is pictured many different ways in the book of Revelation. And, of course, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so if you get studying anything that takes you away from Jesus Christ, then you know you're heading in the wrong direction in the book of Revelation. And uh, we have so many people that want to write entire books on the beast, the Antichrist. No, if you want to know about him, he is going to be the imitator of Christ, the substitute. He is going to present himself as the Christ. That's why Jesus told the disciples that if it were possible, even the very elect shall be deceived because he's going to be good. He's not going to be like the Supreme Court making bad decisions. Uh, He's not going to be like some of the leaders and, and presidents we've had in the past siding with the wrong people giving credence to Uncle Joe Stalin and different things like this that have happened in history, this guy's going to be right about everything. I believe that's why the connection with the number 666 and the reign of Solomon is, is because this guy is going to be wiser than Solomon. He's going to have the wisdom of the devil himself. And if you ever think the devil is dumb, boy, you are mistaken. That is just setting yourself up to be taken captive by him. The issue here is the Antichrist is going to imitate Christ. Of course, that is the highest form of blasphemy possible, is not to just point to Jesus and say, 
That's not true, but to point to himself and say that I am he. And that's what the abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel the prophet is about. And what I want to do, and if I haven't confused you yet, just wait till we get started on this. Uh, but is now uh, the picture I have in my mind, if this will make any sense. Have any of you have ever seen those transparencies where there's layer after layer of transparency, each one of itself doesn't mean very much, but when you put them one on top of the other, all of a sudden a picture appears. Are, are we there? Uh, that's what the book of Revelation is. And added to that, we have the Old Testament prophecies, and we begin to put these things together. And, and I believe that we will not know everything. The Bible is very clear about that. But we will see a, a much better picture Revelation chapter 17, and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying, come hither and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now verse 18, it says, and the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now, you can't get much more plain than Revelation chapter 17 and verse 18. The woman is a city. It's a specific city. It is that city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now, there was only one city in existence when the book of Revelation was written, that reigned over the kings of the earth. That is the city of Rome. That is why there's such a great fascination with a revived Roman Empire. But, but I want us to make an understanding here. In Revelation chapter 18, we hear the prophecy, the the uh, not so much the foretelling, but the foretelling of the destruction of Babylon the Great. And we're going to spend most of our time looking at Mystery Babylon, which is the one in chapter 17, so that when we get to chapter 18, all of a sudden, you're going to see some differences there. It will be very plain that we're talking about two different places. You see... Mystery Babylon, it is also called the great whore, the mother of harlots. And those are not flattering or kind words in, in any stretch of the imagination, uh, nor are they profane. It is just simply an honest title for this evil city. This city is the fountain of false worship. Now, I'm not one that recommends that you study the worship of false gods because, boy, I'll tell you what, you can really get reading a lot of rotten, filthy stuff. Um, I think one of the most depressing and oppressing reads I have ever accomplished was Mr. Hillslop's, uh, Hillslop, no, it's Hislop, uh, uh, called The Two Babylons. And in that book, he traces the history of false religion. And the gods of Egypt came from Babylon, the plain of Shinar, from Nimrod and his queen, who history tells us bears the name, the most infamous name any woman has ever worn, Semiramis. And the history is evil, it is vile, and it is sickening. And yet the gods of Egypt were the gods of the Greeks. The gods of the Greeks were the gods of the Rom became the gods of the Romans. And many, many of the traditions of the church of Rome today are 
intimately connected with what we call the mythology and the pagan worship of false gods that goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Have you ever wondered where the term Madonna and child came from? It did not come from your Bible. It came from Babylon. And Semiramis and her illegitimate son, whom she claimed was given to her through the reincarnation of her dead husband. Now, if you can figure that one out, go see your doctor. And I'm talking about this kind. Amen? Uh... It it is unbelievable, yet we have this connection in false religion. And this is why the Bible heaps these horrible titles. And so what we have here is the description of Mystery Babylon, the city that ruleth over the kings of the earth. She is riding... The beast. Now, this will sound hilarious to you and maybe let you see a little bit about how my mind works. But how many of you remember the story of the gingerbread man? He runs away from everybody until he gets to the riverbank. And the fox says, you can ride across the river on my back. Right? And the water gets deeper and he says, just get up a little closer. He said, right up on my neck. And then the water gets deeper and he says, the gingerbread man says, oh, Mr. Fox, I'm going to drown. He says, right on my head. And the water gets deeper. He says, right on my nose. And Mr. Fox opens his mouth and Mr. Gingerbread Man disappears. That's what happens to the great whore who rides the beast. You see, if, and, and you just have to allow me to chase some of these rabbits. How many of you are familiar with Jack Chick and his track series, Father Alberto? And if that um, is unknown to you, please do yourself a favor. Don't go home and Google it tonight. Uh, don't buy a copy of it. It is pure imagination. It has nothing to do with the truth. The Catholic Church is not going to take over the world. It's going to be one of the leaders, and it is the connecting pin between religion of our day and the religion of the worship of the image and the person of the Antichrist, the beast. In the Bible, it is just the linchpin. It's what's connected. And as soon as that transition is made, read the entire chapter. The ten kings who align themselves with the beast and put their authority, they are going to hate this city and they are going to destroy it. Why? Because the transition will be made and it will now be a religion in the way, one that needs to be done away with. So the only true religion on the face of the earth will be the worship of the beast and of his image. And it's interesting that the worship of Antichrist is the worship of the image that is given life and how much of the history of the Orthodox and the Catholic Church is connected with weeping icons and bleeding statues and all of these signs and wonders, would it be that unusual, uh, it would be because it's never happened, that one of these things actually comes to life for real? Uh, that's what's going to happen. It'll be the ultimate uh, and I, I'm not even going to pronounce the word correct, but when you see stigmata, uh, when you see the signs and things make themselves manifest in people's bodies and on statues and different things like this. She is riding the beast. 
That means at this point, it's going to look like she is in charge. Now, remember where the beast came from. The beast rises up out of the sea. The beast is going to be the political ruler of the world. And how many of you are familiar with medieval history? European medieval history. What we have is the church fighting the state and the state fighting the church. Depending on who was in charge. Everybody likes to go back to Charles Martel, Charlemagne, the hammer, the one who stopped the flood of Islam into Europe through Spain. They then set up the Holy Roman Empire. The Pope at that time placing the crown upon the king, Charlemagne, and proclaiming him king of all of Europe. And what was Charlemagne's first thing that he really accomplished? Putting the Pope in his place. Because he had the armies, he had the power, and he said, you may have set the crown on my head, but I'm wearing the crown, I'm in charge. But when I believe it was his grandson took the throne, who had not the power, guess who was there to take it back? Well, the Pope was. And this battle goes on all through the medieval ages until finally the power of the Catholic Church is broken, not through war necessarily as much as it was through the Reformation pulling out finances and political strength and control of armies until the city of Rome did not have the authority it once did. How many of you know the Pope's emissaries have met with the leaders of Islam on many of occasions trying to find common ground? If you remember Dr. Art Wilson when he was here, he said he was in Bethlehem, I believe it was 1964, when the head of the Greek Orthodox Church, the head patriarch, and the Pope knelt on the floor in Bethlehem and kissed each other, symbolizing a desire to reunite the two churches. Why do you think Billy Graham accepted a doctorate from a Catholic college and now includes Catholic priests in all of his uh, quote-unquote revival meetings from the 1980s up until his last one here in New York City. Let me tell you something. There is a connection from Rome all the way back to Babylon in the worship and in the things that are done the word sacrament itself, the most ancient religion, is called the mystery religion. Buddhism claims to be a mystery religion. In fact, one of their great whatevers said, Jesus was an initiate of the second level of the mysteries of the universe. Of course, Buddha was of the eighth. How many of you know the definition of the word sacrament? Mystery. Do you see the connections here? This, this city is going to be arrayed in purple and scarlet and gold and precious stones and pearls drinking from a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Now remember, when the Bible uses the word fornication, it is talking about deviant sexual activity. It's also talking about deviant spiritual activity. And we're not here just to demean or whatever the Catholic Church, but it has an ample history of both, I'm sorry to say. You study the history of immorality in the Middle Ages, and you're studying the history of the Catholic Church. 
even down to this day and time. And uh, that's why when any preacher that isn't a Catholic priest does anything wrong, it gets all over the news media because for every other kind of preacher, there's probably 15 to 30 Catholic priests that have been doing the same thing. It's that bad. It's just covered up. Immorality and false religion have been holding hands since the day Cain murdered Abel. It has always been a connection, and there always will be a connection. How many of you remember the stories of Amy Simple McPherson and her 15 or so husbands that we know about, and Muhammad, and nobody knows how many people, how many were taken women were taken advantage of by that man. Joseph Smith had at least 26 known wives. And these, all of these religions recognize the Pope as a great religious figure. This is what the mystery Babylon is. This is why God says that she is drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Religious persecution has been a hallmark of every false religion. I believe I can honestly say that no major group of Baptists have ever persecuted anyone based upon religion because... That's not who we are. We were always the ones getting persecuted. We were always the ones on the stake, not putting people there. And here is what's going to happen as the world religion is coming together. And remember, when we were in Revelation chapter uh, 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 12, we had the narrative of the woman that was there. We were going back through thousands of years of history as we're talking about the birth of Christ and, the, and being caught up into heaven and then will be returned. And, and yet there is the, the absolute connection there that the woman is going to be hidden in the wilderness for 42 months, three and a half years. And so we come down here to... to um, uh, verse 15, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So here we have the destruction of mystery Babylon. These ten kings who are going to unite together are going to come to a point to where they're going to say, we can no longer put up with this religious group here, this city that is leading people, because it's getting in the way, it's taking away worship that belongs to the beast. The Bible says these ten kings are going to come together and destroy this city. And you know what? Nobody's going to be sad. They're all going to be happy about it. Why? Number one, whether they know it or not, whether they believe it or not, they're fulfilling God's will. God uses all kinds of people to fulfill his will. They think they're doing what they want to do, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the day of Jesus thought they were accomplishing their will when they crucified him, and yet they were fulfilling God's word in everything they did. Are we still together? Okay, okay. Good. Just want to make sure. And so they're going to come together and they're going to get to a point to where this religion is going to get in the way. 
they're going to begin to distrust. Then they will begin to hate. And then they will plot the desolation and the death and the destruction of this city. Yet when we get to chapter 18, look what it says. And after these things, now it's always interesting when the Bible puts a time reference. If it's after these things, it can't be at the same time as these things. And I'm not trying to be ridiculous here, but you don't know how many people want to take chapter 17 and chapter 18 and make them talk about the same thing. And uh, that's not true. And so here we have this other angel. So we have a different time. We have a different angel having power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, does that sound like the place that the ten kings destroyed? No. There's something left here. Demons. Every foul and hateful bird. Unclean and hateful bird. Foul spirits. Now, it says here, For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now, the point I want to make here is, when the great whore has been destroyed, where is the seat of false worship going to be? It will now be the political, religious, economic capital. There will only be one city that men will look to. It will be the city that the beast rules from. And we're going to go back at, at the end if we have enough time and pick up this. But the thing that is so particular about this place, and it's going to be referenced, and we won't take time to read all the references over and over again. Merchants, merchandise, it's going to list all of the different things that are stolen, I mean, sold and uh, and uh, brought through here. In fact, let's just touch here on verse 11. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all fine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and the souls of men. This is the merchandise of this city. Things are bought sold and traded here all for the enrichment of those who are doing the buying and the selling and the trading. Sounds a little bit like home, doesn't it? I mean, there is nothing of this world's goods that you can't find here if you got the money to pay for it. This Babylon the Great is going to be the economic capital of the world. And once mystery Babylon is destroyed, everything is going to be transferred here. But who's going to destroy Babylon the Great? The destruction is attributed to God and God himself. Not the ten kings who come together to do God's bidding, but God himself is going to rain destruction upon this city. And it says here, uh, verse 17, For in one hour so great riches is come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company of the ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried, 
when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by the reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Verse 24 uh, you start in verse 21, and it says that the destruction of Babylon the Great will be complete. No person will ever live there again. Nothing that has happened in that city will ever happen again. And it says in that city will be found the blood of all the saints. Now, the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Now, how many of you remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees just before he went to the cross? He said, this generation is going to be required, the blood of everyone from Abel, the first martyr in the Old Testament, up until Zacharias, who was the last martyr recorded in the Old Testament. Jesus said, all of that's going to be required of this generation. He's going to require it of this city that is going to rule over all the kingdoms of the earth, the city that the beast will rule from. Does that mean it's going to be physical Babylon? Not necessarily. The, the illustration I like to use in the prophet Malachi, it said before the coming of the Lord, who's going to come? Elijah. Now, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? He said, if you will receive it, this is Elijah who has come. So, it doesn't necessarily have to be the exact same city. Saddam Hussein was going to rebuild the city of Babylon. In fact, it really doesn't need to be rebuilt, uh, though there are many parts of it missing and people have... Uh, taken stones from it and they tell us that if you go all over that area of Iraq you can see bricks and things in people's houses that they've gone to the old site of Babylon and stole bricks from and built their own houses. It's got the stamp of Nebuchadnezzar on the bricks. Now I've never been there and by the way I'm not asking to go either. I, I like it here. Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is Babylon, that city in Iraq, does not need to be rebuilt to fulfill the Bible prophecies. It could be another city. Now, I want to come back later and spend time with the New Jerusalem. Tonight, I want to treat it in the most summary fashion because I just want to close out if possible, all of our book of Revelation. But chapters 21 and 22 of the book of Revelation give us the story and the description of the new Jerusalem. In verse 1 of chapter 21, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, verse 4 is one of our favorite verses in the Bible, at least it ought to be. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Now, how many of you have heard about the streets of gold? Well, actually, there is one street in the city of Jerusalem, and it is gold. 
The Bible says the gold of the city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, is clear as crystal. Now, I've heard some preachers that have studied this out, and they say there's new processes of refining gold, and the more pure it gets, the clearer it gets. I don't know. I just know what the Bible says, that the gold that makes up that street is going to be clear as crystal. Now, we've made lead crystal, and I'll tell you, when you see something made out of lead crystal versus something that's just plain glass, usually you can see the difference. I mean, it just has a glimmer to it. Imagine what gold crystal will look like. I think it will be something beyond our wildest imagination. This is where the pearly gates will be. And by the way, each gate will be one pearl. But the city is four square, 150 miles in every direction. Does that mean the pearl is going to be 150 miles in diameter? I don't think so, but it's going to be big. Let me tell you that. There's going to be three gates on each side, and on the name of the gates are going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. Yet, the foundations are going to be 12 foundations of different stones, and what's going to be on the stones? The names of the apostles of the Lamb. Now, how many of you want to know what that 12th apostle's name is? Because Judas fell. Some people argued about this. It's going to be Paul. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. Another said, no, it's going to be the one they chose in, in Acts chapter 1. And frankly, I'll wait until I see the writing on the wall. And they don't know. Amen. Uh, I think that's the best way to deal with that. No person that is unsaved will enter the gates of Jerusalem, of the new Jerusalem. There'll be no more night. And yet there are some references that I, I'll just tell you are somewhat perplexing. It says here in verse 2 of chapter 22 that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Now, if nations need to be healed, then that means that the new Jerusalem will be present during the millennial kingdom because there will be people who are still living on earth at that time. In chapter 21, in verse 25, it's, or verse 26, it says, And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Now, this could be understood either way. It could be understood that the, instead of the word healing, as you and I would think someone's sick, it would mean that it keeps the nation straight so they don't need healing anymore. And that would be the post-millennial presence of the New Jerusalem, which seems to be the most simple in keeping. And the nations bringing their glory unto it, um, again, that would seem to say that the New Jerusalem is going to be here during the millennial reign. That's, But it says here that all the former things are passed away, that's not going to happen until after the millennial kingdom. And I'm just going to leave you in a quandary because that's right where I am. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question. But the river of life that comes out of the throne is spoken of in the prophets of taking the Dead Sea, the place where Sodom and Gomorrah used to be, and healing the waters and making the lowest, most lifeless spot on the face of the earth into a place where they're going to be drying their fishing nets. That's, what the, that's why we're going back to the Old Testament to get all of these prophecies and put it together. Because there are many, many references to these things. And the book of Revelation ends with a prayer. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now, that's what you and I ought to be praying about. 
But every time I think about the Lord coming, I think about unsaved people I'd like to see saved. And the Bible forbids us to pray, Lord, could you wait a little while until these people get saved? The Lord, the Bible forbids that kind of praying. You're praying against God's will. So what's the resolution? Here's the resolution. You get over there and tell that person you want to see saved about the gospel. And be as kind and as loving and with the Spirit of God as is possible. There, I don't know how else to say it. There is no grace in being a jerk. Amen? And so as we give the gospel... We need to understand that we are to pray. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now, we got four minutes, and I want you to flip your paper over. We've got a a new printer several months ago, and it actually prints double-sided. So you're going to see longer outlines in the future. No. Uh, Let's go back to Revelation chapter 17. I just want to pick this up. And Revelation chapter 17, it gives us just a little more information about the beast here. And let's just start reading verse 7. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. And the beast that thou sawest was and is not. And shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast." These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and they are and they that are sorry, and they that are with him are called chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now We have seven heads called seven mountains. And if you go back historically, Rome is called the city of seven hills. Could I challenge you for a moment that hills are not mountains? Um, It is very evident here that the city of Rome is spoken about unless... There is some future city that will rule over the kings of the earth that is not connected with another city that is the city of the beast. Uh, I think it's just a lot more simple to say this because the city of Rome, from the days when uh, this book was written, even unto this day, have had the connection of religious leadership. The seven mountains, because we go to the next verse and it says that these seven mountains, it says, and there are seven kings. And it's interesting how this beast is described. He is described, behold, the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, Jesus is described as he which is. And what, and which was, and which will be. Now, this is a very common thing in 
Hebrew understanding is they love what we call the play on words. And this is uh, a high insult to the beast because he was and is not and yet is. And it's meant to be somewhat of a uh, rhyme, a conundrum there, something for you to figure out. I think the seven, it tells us that there were seven kings, five are fallen. One is, and one is yet to come. The simplest thing is, we, you can go through the world and history, and there have been very few what we would call worldwide kingdoms. What it is saying is there were five before Rome. If you go back through history, you have the Greek Empire, which Rome displaced. You have the the Persian, which the Greek overcame. You then have the Babylonian, and you've only got to find two more. If we study history, you have the Egyptian and then you have Nimrod back into the city of Babylon again as the first kingdom, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Uh, I'm not saying that's exactly the way it is, but here is what we have. This beast that was will be a reincarnation, as we might say, or a bringing back to life of one of these five that are fallen. The beast is going to be the eighth. And it might possibly, I'm just offering this, be the reference to the, re, uh, the resurrection of the beast, having the mortal wound to his head and coming back to life. He will be a different person. He will be endued with the power of the devil himself. And he will be the last And he will go in to perdition. The seventh has not yet come. He's going to continue for a short space. He's going to be given that three and a half year period. It says the beast will ascend out of the bottomless pit. It's interesting that the destroyer or the killer of the two witnesses is also described in Revelation 11.7 as he that ascends out of the bottomless pit. The beast is going to carry the whore until he needs her no longer. Then he will allow his servants, his backers, his group of ten to destroy her. And yet it will be God that destroys Babylon the Great. When mystery Babylon is destroyed, all of the worship... Everything that goes on, no man can buy or sell, all of the commerce, anything that happens in this earth is going to be centered in one city. And God is going to destroy that city himself. And if you want to venture some guesses, be my guest. Uh, The list is a rebuilt Babylon. Uh, The... There's even been some that have said, well, I think New York City is going to be Babylon the Great because the shipmasters come into the city. It's a great port city. It's a great city of trade. It wouldn't take very long for New York City if we had a president so minded as to rule the world and dominate the world with the military of the United States. And the technology and the power, you know what? He could get it done if he wanted to. Kind of scary to think about it, isn't it? We don't know. We do know what the end of all who rebel against God is going to be. And that God will judge his people. And that this beast that has seven heads, which are seven mountains, could be referring to the seven hills on which Rome is built, but I think it's more referring to seven mountains or seven high points in history. The seven kings of the next verse are connected to the seven mountains. 
at the writing of the book of Revelation, which is about 100 A.D., five are gone. They have been destroyed in history. Their kingdoms are gone. One is. Number six, Rome. One is yet to come. We don't know what that kingdom is going to be. But he's going to be, that kingdom is going to be like one of the five that are fallen. Its kingdom is going to continue a short space. And Antichrist, the beast, is going to become the ruler of that kingdom. Then we will have destruction of mystery Babylon. And then we will have the destruction of Babylon the Great. And it still talks about that this beast is going to, and these ten kings are going to fight against the land. That's the battle of Armageddon. That is the last thing that happens, God's prophetic time clock, before he sets up his kingdom here on earth. And so, what we want to do and what I want you to pray about with me is as we now are going to widen our focus and start connecting Daniel and Zechariah and Malachi, um, not Malachi, but uh, anyway, uh, Micah, I knew it started with an M. Uh, Some of those prophecies that are in the Old Testament prophets, and we're going to try to just lay the transparencies that God has given us down one on top of the other so that we can kind of get a scope and sequence of the things that God wants us to understand. The one thing we must remember, he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together tonight. and Lord, we ask that you would remind us to pray, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, to be ever mindful that to be absent from this life is to be present with our Savior. We ask that you would give us direction as we study the Word, that we would take wisdom from it to know what you would have us to do to live for you in these last days. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have a moment Have the pianist give us a verse or two. If you need to just slip out of your seat and spend a little time with the Lord.